0: just a blast to get into that conversation. As Brad alluded to a little earlier, uh, I came from business. I I owned three companies in my 20s, and God uh, placed a burden on my heart uh, for a people group in an impoverished part of Portland in a place that had high crime, lots of drama, failing schools, and uh, it was a place that you don't sign up to go to. I've been married 32 years, We have seven kids. I have five grandkids now, and uh, we were raising a large family in the hood, uh, but it was something I I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be a pastor. When I was 21 years old, I felt God calling me to be a pastor. This is the last place in the world I would want to be, is in front of a bunch of people speaking at all. I just didn't have the nerves for it. I never thought that I could effectively do it and i thought i was uh doing just a a a real swell work being in business and and going to church on sundays and i thought that's that's what that's what i would do and at one point in my prayer life and talking to my wife and watching god kind of put things in my pathway it became undeniable in fact maybe you can relate to this where God seems to speak to you in a way that doesn't always make sense. In fact, it's downright irritating sometimes. It creates conflict and tension in you. The things that God may be speaking to you and the word, in the, in the way that he may be leading you. But I found myself at a point where uh, business lo- no longer was what God had for me. God wanted me to not start new companies. He wanted me to start churches. But it was undeniable. That's my first question for you guys before we get into the scripture, and we're going to get right into it. But can you relate? As God spoke to you maybe several times about something, maybe it causes you tension, maybe even makes your palms sweaty, makes your heart beat quickly. It doesn't quite compute, but God is saying something to you, He's bringing you away that's undeniable. We're going to see that that is the way of the cross. That is a piece of the gospel is that there's some undeniable choicelessness at times because God is so effectively at speaking and leading. And you know overall his character of love and the way that his kindness is toward you that you, you just you have to do it. But it takes everything in you. In fact, you don't even have the power to do it. It seems as though something much larger needs to take place, and it is. It's God's Spirit, and it's a tearing away of your flesh so that the Spirit may be joined with the divine plan that God has for you. So maybe today the Word will speak to us. I think it does. It usually does if we have ears to hear. And so I want to talk today just about the unavoidable way, the undeniable way of the cross. And where we'll find that is if you wanna to turn to your Bibles, we're gonna be in Mark, and uh, I'm actually gonna start a little earlier than what I told the text, so I don't know if they have, uh, they're have they gonna have the Scripture, but we'll be at Mark 8, and I'm gonna start reading at verse 27, and we'll go to one. Uh, so, 8.27 to one, and I just, wanted to frame this right, so here we are. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We'd probably love to give you a free one today, so come see us afterwards. I'll give you this one. Um, But uh, I'm gonna read right now, so. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, because Jesus cares, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Wow. So Jesus cares. There's a few things right out of the gate here. We see that one Jesus cares about what we what we say of him, who he is in our life. That's the first thing that you see. And then he goes on to speak of the unavoidable way, the way of the cross. He goes to say, "This is who I am and this is what I'm up to." And we see that the gospel is holistic. The gospel is for our whole life, our whole community, the whole world, right? And so there's there's no part of it in Jesus that you can separate. Let me be clear about that. The man, the, the Son of Man, who Jesus is, right? The Messiah, the Anointed One, Who he is, the man, cannot be separated from his mission. His character, his attributes, his nature is nothing different than what he's saying. It's in complete unison. And his mission, so the man, the message, and the mission he is saying is all wrapped up in one. There's no separating it. There's no segmentation. That Jesus is living it fully out. He's manifesting all of the Word, all of God's plan. He's carrying that out. We can't say the same. Sometimes our character is different than the message. That's hypocrisy. Sometimes we say we love Jesus, but we, we, do we follow this way? Do we want to follow this way? So our mission is off from the character. Or we can preach the gospel. Lots of people can, can declare the gospel, the things and the good news, or recite scriptures, but they don't demonstrate it. And so we see that Jesus, the whole thing, is together. So Christ's mission, as he's explaining his plan, um, we see that it's all entangled within who he is. And so that's why it's important to start with his identity. And out of his being, we see what he's doing. And we're called to the same, to have that identity. If you're a person here who's in Christ, then you should listen real closely to to see what the mission is, because he's laying down the way of the cross, this undeniable way. But if you aren't a Christian here, and you're maybe poking at the idea, and you're asking that question that he asked of of the crowds and of the people, maybe you're saying, who is Jesus? And you know, one thing that's interesting is Jesus says, who do the crowds say I am? That's like asking pop culture, like, who do they think I am? And you hear they're off. So I don't know where you're finding out if you're thinking about following Jesus or, or seeing who Jesus is. I don't know where you're getting your information, but you should be getting it straight from Scripture. It's the most accurate. It's the most accurate uh, verification of what you can see about who Jesus is. Not what your friends think. Not Even what some Christians think. Because remember, there's segmentation. Sometimes people miss it. So it's kind of the way, maybe you've used the Spotify app. It's a musical app, right? I I listen to lots of music during the day. And on Spotify, it'll say, hey, here's this band. And I'll look at the band, and it'll be a band I really know. And then it'll say, there's a portion of that app you can go in and say, this is Led Zeppelin. This is Depeche Mode. This is... uh, Kendrick Lamar, this is this person. And if you know that artist, sometimes you're like, that list is missing this song. Cuz this is the jam. This is the song that I love. This is the song that's in my head. This is really who this band is. You're missing it. That's what's happening here. People are he says, "Who do Jesus who do they say I am?" Well, he's a you're a prophet, you're this or that. No, 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 no. You are the Messiah. You are the savior. They got the wrong playlist on Jesus. So here's the deal, though. But Jesus says, as he's speaking about this way, he, he, we're going to get into words suffer, rejection, killed. Jesus is telling the mission, and it's just flat out unattractive. There's a lot of parts of following Jesus that are just unattractive. Jesus speaks imperatively here. See, there's a key word. Let's go to uh, verse 31. And he began to teach them the Son of Man. Okay, first of all, he he loved that title. Jesus is showing that I didn't come here for the power and the privilege structures that y'all think are important. Jesus came in a very low and humble way, the Son of Man, He's imperatively showing this that there's no politics, there's no fame or prestige, there's no money structure that he's relying upon. Which is very confounding, right? So, so Peter just confessed that you're the Christ. He just confessed that, that you're the anointed one, that you're 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 the ruler of the of the kingdom. And then Jesus goes and says this whole other parts of economy and these variables that don't match with what, the way we think. We think it's a luxury position to have authority. We think it's a luxury position to, to be on high, to have honor and glory. There must be a structure and a power and, and to have people follow you, that, that's, that's, that's what we think is power. We think that, that it can rule over And these are all true things of Jesus' lordship. But in this way, Jesus is saying, and check this out. It's a flip the script time. God does things differently than you. He flies upside down. He doesn't go by the laws of gravity. He doesn't go by the laws of society. He doesn't go by the laws of politics. Jesus says, check this out. I'm going to be suffering, rejected, killed, and raised. And here's the word I want you to see today. He says, he began to teach to them that the Son of Man, and this word popped out to me this morning. The Son of Man must. That's undeniable way. That's an unavoidable way. That's an unattractive way. To say God is tethering Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one we confess. He's tethering him. He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. He must. That means that God is sovereignly weaving in this piece of the story. This is what must happen in order for us to be saved, for us to be redeemed, for us to be renewed, for us to be a part of God's family, to be welcomed into his kingdom. This must happen. Brad last week spoke and said, we preach the Gospel to ourselves. Well, in order for us to have that luxury of bathing in, being an heir, being an inheritor of God's kingdom through Christ Jesus, this must happen. This must happen. This is a sovereign act of God. God's sovereign, independent, overseen, sovereign hand taking care of us, being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it includes that He must suffer. No running away. You must suffer, Jesus. You must go headlong into this. Jesus must. It's an imperative. He must suffer. He must be rejected by who? It even says. By the religious people, right? The elders, the chief priest. He must suffer against religiosity. When man gets his hands into the things of God and rules it over others and and turns their their nose and, and, and marginalizes people, Jesus must be rejected by religion. Jesus must be killed, he must be murdered. It has to happen. This is a part of God's sovereign rule. This has to take place. And he must. So they will murder love. It will happen. He must be rejected. He must be scorned. He must suffer. And he must be murdered. There will be a day that he's telling them, that love will be murdered. Love will be rejected. Holiness will be rejected. Rejected. The ways of God, fulfilled in Christ, will be rejected. Remember, each one of us has a part to play in that. Each one of us has rejection of God and His ways. Each one of us deny. One of us say, Some of us don't go headlong into it. We don't go, that's unavoidable. I'll avoid that. I'll show you how. I'll show you an easier way. Easy way, hard way. Easy. But faith calls us. It purifies us. It weighs upon us because it did our Savior. He's not just mission-minded like, hey, here I go. I'm going to go to the cross, guys. I'm going to take care of business over there. Wow, Jesus, thank you. That's so awesome. This is no light thing. This is God incarnate being rejected, being killed. This isn't some like, gosh, Jesus is cool. He's so fascinating. I love it when he does the miracles or, you know, I've heard he just does fascinating things and he's just kind of mad and crazy and rejecting all the elders and the scribes and. No, it's not just a scene. It's not Spotify. It's not pop culture. Jesus was trending. But what he was doing was much further and farther. Because of God's sovereign hand, he was doing something at the very depth of every piece of our existence. So he wasn't just mission-minded. Again, he was missional. Everything he did, you could not separate his words and his actions and every intention that he had for you. This is all for you. He's being rejected and must be killed for us. Well, look at verse 32. So that's very unattractive. That's called the bad news. It's bad news when life ceases. It's bad news when life does not go forward. It's bad news when life is extinguished, when life is taken. It's bad news when people are rejected. Maybe you've been marginalized. Jesus undertook all of these things to make a very clear point. This is the action-oriented Gospel of Mark with the, the tedious details of the Gospel of Luke show us that Jesus went to be in the margins. He went where others are also rejected. He went where you're uh, being scorned. He went where re- religiosity and irreligiosity hurt you and offended you and, and put you aside. He did this. This is all very intentional. Continue to study Jesus all of your life. It is inexhaustible to see how many different ways He's actually connected to your heart and your soul. But where you're undone and where you're you're broken, God has woven this choiceless, unavoidable red cord of salvation through Jesus to come to you and to sense you up and to call you forward to the most holy, the most high, a father in heaven who loves you so much. He sent his son to endure exactly this. He must do it. It can't just be another Sunday morning. It can't be another moment where we listen to a speaker tell us about the word. I'm imploring you to come closer and see what Jesus has done on your behalf, not to make you feel guilty at all, but ultimately to liberate you. To see just what God's done. He's taken care of every little tit and tattle. He's taken care of every detail, every nook and cranny. He's absolutely done this through this, and he must. But Peter says this He wants to rebuke Jesus. He's like, "Uh, No, Jesus, uh, you having a bad day? We're having a self esteem problem, Jesus? You need caffeine? Maybe he needs something a little stronger to numb as pain. Why so low, Jesus? Why no lights, Oak Grove? <laughs> Why blinking lights? No, I need as much lights as possible. I'm an old man. I can barely see this. I'm not going to wing the rest of us. Thank you. Ah. Uh, But Peter actually tries to take Jesus aside and go, do you have low self-esteem? Like, let's get back in there, Jesus. Like, this seems really weird. Like, you're going to be the king. You're going to be the ruler. Like, I'd like to be, like, attach at the hip with you. I like the political structure. I like to get the Romans out of here and tell all these Jewish jerks, uh, the, the people that I grew up with and the churchy entity people, right? These people that just are doing it for themselves and you haven't been centered to it. Like, I'd love to just push them aside. Can't we do that? Like, why are you talking about being rejected and dying? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. What does Jesus say? And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me Satan Uh, you gotta be nervous if you're Pete right there old Pedro Uh, get behind me Satan, Um, I was just trying to cheer you up it just seemed like a, a bad way to go like what do you mean? Like rejection, killing, suffering? I thought we were against that stuff. Get behind me, Satan. For you're setting your mind on the thing, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Why is that satanic? It's satanic. That's a line that we've probably all familiar with. Uh, get behind me, Satan. Yeah because I have an unavoidable path. I'm on the path to redemption, resurrection, reconciliation, renewal, revival for all of the world and you're in the way of it and you're telling me to unplug the gospel. I want you to know that we're so like Peter, it's not even it's incredible, it's uncanny. Why? Because the way of the Gospel has this suffering, has this hardship, has this tension between things. On the way to the cross, we see that all of life is being addressed and all of our lives. Serve God with your whole mind, your heart, your strength, right? Everything that you've got. That's impossible. And what we do, instead of going the unavoidable way of the gospel, of, of true liberation, we take the easier way. And the easiest way Jesus is actually saying is it's wicked, it's, in, it's sinful. Really? Yes, whenever God takes the time to sovereignly weave Jesus through the cross of all of history and bring everything that He made back to His glory and give everything the opportunity to have peace, love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things, and we decide to unplug it because we have a different thought pattern, one that's temporal, one that's of humanity and of man and not of God, then we're messed up. Woo! That's the good news. What's the good news? Is keep it plugged in, and then things can be redeemed. Things can be reconciled. Things can be made new. Why would we pull the power plug on Jesus? Because we don't like the way the story goes. God doesn't need PR people, He doesn't need us to go, man, it'd be cool if the story kind of went like this a little bit, and it served me a little more. Because that's the truth. And do you know that's flat out wicked? It's wicked for us to say, that's not the sovereign plan. For us to go, you know, come on. That's why Jesus rightfully rebukes Peter. Because Blaise Pascal in the 1600s, I know you have a French school, so I'll just talk about a Frenchman for a second here. (laughs) He says, God made man in his image, and man... Return the favor. Peter is making God in his image. He's taking the sovereign plan of of rejection and and things that that seem unpleasant and hard and, and certainly not of the flesh. He takes that vision of God and he returns the favor and says, this is the way I see it. See, this is a very important doctrine this is a very important piece of the gospel, of theology, for us to say, God, you made us in your image, and that is right. But for us to now change your characteristics, change your mission, change your story. And you know where, we, I think we all like love who Jesus is. We all love who God is, but we don't love his mission. It's really, we really do want a self-esteem. We want to be popular. We kind of want to go, well, who do you think Jesus is? Right answer. It's a bunch of tension when our friends go, well, he's a good teacher. You know, I don't know about Jesus, but it's like, "Uh, the unavoidable way is going on here. Uh, I got to tell you really who Jesus is, but I, I don't know if I've got the energy today to tell you that. Or I don't want to argue with you. or It's attached to your politics. or It's this or that. But Jesus So we have these blind spots, and this is why we must continue to draw close to know who Jesus is and what the Word verifies of what the Spirit may be telling you at times, of what God may be dropping in your pathway for you to see. And maybe you've been through a few of those hurdles that were unavoidable, and you've seen the payoff. You've seen the return on investment in God's kingdom and His his ways, right? And you've enjoyed that, but somehow you forgot it. Let me just ask you, when was the last time there was an unavoidable roadblock because of your flesh? Because you were doing what Peter did. You were actually not even intentionally trying to be destructive. Peter's not trying to do this, but God is showing us how wicked our hearts are, how wicked it is not to go with the actual gospel. This is why people water it down. This is called the bad news of the gospel. It's the bad news. It's the hard part. It's the darkness. It's what Jesus is absorbing. It's what he must do in order for us to be made stainless and, and sacred and right and brought into the family. To have a presence before the throne of God. For you to be reborn and to be a new creation, this must Happen, but how many different times do we try and hijack the story and hijack the mission and make it a lot more? I gotta tell you, we are weasels, we're the biggest manipulators there are. It's just in us, it runs through us. Just all you have to do is look at social media. We are so perfect at going, Look at me, like we're experts at it. We want it to be about us, we want it to be. Our story. And you know what? It is enough to be made in God's image. It is enough to live this out in your whole life. Some of you, I guarantee it, just because you're people and there's enough of you here, some of you keep God out of your sexuality. Some of you keep God out of your finances. Some of you keep God even out of some of your relationships. Even your marriage, believe it or not. You don't pray over intimacy. You don't bring God into all areas of your life that that are what you think are private or for you. Another Frenchman comes to mind. His name is Charles de Foucault. He's 200 years more contemporary than the 1600 Blaise Pascal. This is Charles de Foucault, and he was a theologian, uh, a priest, and he said this. Now, I don't speak French, but I do remember hearing this. Whoever speaks French in here, they're like, he botched that. That was terrible. This man is an abomination to a beautiful language. What does it mean? Cry the gospel with your life. Your whole life. That's what Jesus is showing us. But there's great consequences when we unleash for ourselves our desires, like Peter was doing, because all hell breaks loose. And we pursue it sometimes. Some of you right now are like, I'm from Los Angeles, so we have these famous freeway Nightmares where people will take over the freeway, right? And they're going 109 miles an hour in the copter, and it gets great ratings on the news. So maybe you've seen this or YouTube it, but these guys are crazy, and they just go harder and harder towards their destruction. They go faster and faster. This is what we do. Sometimes, here's the problem: we're we're somebody in here is also mad at God. You're mad. You're mad about the way some things have gone down. You're upset. You're kinda hell-bent. You're you're not going the way of the cross, this undeniable way of Jesus. You're you're going on a highway to hell. You're mad, and I mean that figuratively. I don't mean like, you're not saved because you're mad at God. You can be mad. but it's costing you obedience. It's costing you to fully receive God's love. Sometimes I think we think that God's primary job is to make us happy. God's primary job is not to make you happy. Now all of that stuff is loaded. God. Seek first the kingdom. All these other things will be added unto you. Yeah, God will bring you so much more than what you think will make you happy. Do you know what happened when I... God didn't even let me sell my business. I gave all the money away. That was unavoidable. Do you know what happened? I was a business guy. I was sharing the gospel with pro athletes and movie people. God brought hundreds of people to himself. I stopped being Peter. I stopped trying to talk God into letting me stay in business. I did what he asked me to do. I baptized hundreds of people in the hood. I watched the neighborhood completely change. I began to understand what it meant to cry the gospel with my life. My kids had a front row to that. In failing schools, they watched the gospel be more important than a failing school. They watched the gospel be more important than all the fights their dad had to break up in the community. They watched Jesus and the gospel be more important than the pimp that lived next door and abused women that I had to go stop at two and four in the morning all the time. It's unavoidable. There's going to be suffering. And let's keep reading because there's going to be suffering for you. You don't get to deny this way of life. Don't set verse 33, set his mind on things of man, not of God. Our focus is off. Man spends time trying to be secure. We do everything to secure our plan. We're in our kingdom. We're the king of it. And we want the glory and credit for it. And that's an implosion that's very dark. And I'm understanding that as being wicked Or we can have converse to that implosion. We can focus our eyes on Jesus. And there's a picture that an artist called Banksy has. And he's got this guy who's got this scarf over his face. This is pre-COVID. And uh, so he's not a COVID vandalist. But uh, it looks like he's going to do vandalism. But he's taken a glass, like a vase, when people use bottles as a vase. And it's got flowers in it. And the view is what I think happens when we follow King Jesus. We have an explosion of things that are fragrant. And we're tossing things that make the environment different. And when we walk in, people go, that's a Christian. I knew you were a Christian. By the way, you were living your whole life around God. And you reoriented over and over again. And when you were wrong, you were a repentant person. And when conflict came, you were somebody that brought resolve and peace. You were a fragrant offering. This is what pleases God. This is the hardship before us. But uh, John saw says this, self-denial is not denying ourselves luxuries like candies, cakes, cigarettes, cocktails. It's actually denying or disowning ourselves by renouncing our supposed right to get our own way. That's convicting. But look at verse 37 or 34 through 37. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So he want, here's the correction. He's just, call, he's just said, Peter, you know, you're being wicked. That's satanic going your way. You're going to go my way to him. So he calls the crowd together, and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That's how far the destruction will go. That's how great the consequences that you would forfeit your soul. So there's something in the DNA here that would actually, like Romans 1, exchange truth for lies, We would be given over to a hard-heartedness. We would just continue to fight with God all of the days of our lives. This is over your identity, the things that you do, the place that you have in society, these are, and when we don't get what makes us happy, we get upset and we're unreconciled with God. But this is God's sovereign way. This must happen. And so Christ's invitation is that if anybody's going to come after me, you need to deny these things, pick up your cross, and let's go. So pick up the cross means anything that's hindering you from walking this way with me, set it aside. Now be honest about that. This is maybe the part where I lean into you. For you to think through, is something causing you not to be in stride with Jesus and carry your cross? Is there some shame that you've been carrying? Maybe you're not allowing the cross to be the power of everything for you. Maybe you're not seeing the work of salvation. Maybe you're you're saved, but you're not understanding that God's changing your life. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that sanctifies and changes and transforms you. But he's saying, you can't follow me and hold all your stuff and try and hold my cross you can't live divided right you can't serve two masters this is the way of the cross you journey with jesus to the cross really what does that look like to suffer to be rejected to be killed yeah you're denying yourself you're leaving it all behind you're not asking what what is my preference? We just grow up with that. From, the, from We reject mom's food like in the high chair. Our little king, our throne, we're like, that's useless. That's terrible. This is who we are. This is the way we've been trained. We were brought into an empire of our own. We were, we were born into... To satanic ways, to a world of wickedness, a sinful generation, he says. That's our proclivities. That's where our habits and our character was shaped. Without God saying, I must do this, I must intervene on their chaos, I must intervene on the darkness, I must intervene on their secrets, on the things that are weighing on them and keeping them disconnected from the Father, I must. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You must. It wasn't just some easy elective, like you're committed to it and covenant to it, the way you ask us to be with one another and yourself? Yes, you must. I've never in my life had an affinity until this morning for the word must. This title of the sermon should be must. He must, we must. Why? Why would we deny ourselves? Why would we take up our cross? I'm going to ask you, because I want to show you something. So that's an abstract gig, right? Take up my cross? I asked the Lord, what does that look like? How How do we take up our cross? I have one suggestion. I'm going to read from Scripture of what I think it may look like. Now, here's the weird part. I'm a weird dude. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I just want you to listen to what it looks like to carry a cross. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge and I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Here's the cross. Love is patient. Love is kind. This is what they murdered. They murdered love. Love is patient. Love is kind. This is Jesus. He does not envy He does not boast. He went this low way to be rejected, to be killed. Of course He was raised. The cross. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when, we, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face now, and I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I am fully known, And now, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I think taking up your cross and the hardship of that is actually learning how to be a great lover. He says... in, In Colossians, Paul says, over all these things put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. This is the reconciling factor. This is why Jesus is being rejected and suffered and killed. I told you they will murder love. God loves us. There's a million things that are telling us that that's not true. It's not a Spotify, a pop culture thing. It's in you that's allowing some of this rebellion and this straight-up wickedness to separate you from the love of God. And here's what happens when we take up our cross and we trust God. We trust a sovereign, glorious God, His divine stitching, the way that must happen. His grace is leading us. He's never leaving us, He's never forsaking us. But we need Him. We're, we need to die to this world. We need to stop living for the temporary. Look at verse 35. We're going to land this message in the next hour. I'm just kidding. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. The rebirth, the renewal, the regeneration, the restoration, the revitalization, the resolve, the recovery, the revival, the resurrection our flesh all that we deny and get rejected and all of the hits that we take God's saying take these hits with me it'll draw you closer to me it's by your wounds and transgressions that I come in and you feel me intimately there's a piece of it it's not sadistic it's not freakish it's not weird when you seek holy ways there will be opposition when you seek the way of love there will be hate but and it will confound people and Peter's just like us we're like I'm still trying to compute this just doesn't totally always make sense jesus but i'm with you you want me to give this up i'll give this up take up the cross you want me to to be a little have boundaries with this person it's dysfunctional it's codependent whatever it may be my job i may have to switch jobs okay lord i'll pick up my cross i want to love you i want to love you most i want to learn how to receive your love i want to be changed by your love do you know what righteousness is the, the scribes and the priests and all of them, right, they thought they were being righteous by their works. We do that often. So sometimes in good intentions, you think you're carrying a cross. It may be something that looks religious or churchy that, that you're bearing that God's not even asking you to do. You know, there's several secret ways that this will invade us and will become wicked. God's calling us to this pure way. It's a very clear way. It's an undeniable way. Remember? You know why I know that? You want to know why I actually think you are tracking with me? Because this scripture says he plainly said it. I call that the gospel of common sense. Sometimes we're like, I'm not sure what God's saying to me. Really? (laughs) Interesting. You should continue living with that girl. No, you should. You're not harming anybody. Continue to do the drugs and alcohol at that level in your life, that unhealthy level. No, he's plainly saying it's time to get on the road. What's happening is we don't trust Jesus, just like everybody else. We like the way we have the world by this, its tail, but the flesh, has been subdued. The revolution and the victory of resurrection has won. God's sovereign plan of divinely weaving through what must take place has paid off. He said, I must be raised. When you look at the suffering, the rejection, and the killed. And and I spent most of the time on this sermon on that bad news. It's okay. It's all good. We spend the majority of our time talking about how God is so good because it's true. It's victorious. It's hyper-nikeo. We're forever winning. That's what Romans tells us. We're always winning. We won. It's over with. So when God says, it's almost like a reverse engineering, like, okay, we won, but this is the way of victory is casting off yourself, giving it all to God, letting Him lighten your load, being obedient to Him, finding out that He really is God, and He's got the whole thing handled. God got this. So we continue to draw to our scriptures, our constitution. We continue to learn how to be a kingdom people, and we break the bread, and we drink that wine or juice or a little cup or whatever we're doing these days, but we commune with God because He won. He was the life giver. Nothing will snuff Him out. This is the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. Are you grateful? Me too. So let me close with this. He says we're not ashamed of the gospel. We have this sad perplexity. We're embarrassed. We feel guilt. And sometimes the beautiful mess, it's a mess. We're like, okay, Jesus, where is this? you got to tell me. And that's part of the fun of following Jesus into this adventure. Once you find out that he's got the answer book, I always needed that in the seventh grade. Like the back of the book gave me all the answers. Like, man, I stunk. Terrible at algebra and calculus and all that. I loved it. But Jesus has got it. So I'm just like, I don't understand this. I know I'm slightly blind, and I I really want the way of wicked or destructive. Please help me in this. He's there to help you. He loves the snot out of you, crazy kids. Some of you are like, I'm 85 years old. He can't call me a crazy kid, you crazy kid. In eternity, you're a kid. But here's what we're not ashamed of because here's the result of the gospel in all of its hardship and all of its perplexity and sometimes what makes us sad because we love our flesh and we love to create the worlds that we live in but Jesus says this in 2 Corinthians 5:19 to 20 That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. Check this out. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to the Lord. Here's the last thing I'll say and then I'm going to pray. Sometimes in a pastor's mind you're like, I bet there's unbelievers in here and there's believers in here. I just think there's people and we're all in this process. Some of you have crossed the line to get some salvation. Some of you walked further and God's really changing you and you're unrecognizable like I am to my friends when they come hear me preach, they're like, that's not the dude I went to school with. Okay, great. But I've reconciled and we continue to reconcile our whole life to the cross of Christ in all of the ways. And then we're a part of that in your, in your identity, part of that baptism and that discipleship and walking out this undeniable way. But I want to remind and I want to invite all of you to reconcile once again. We're just, this isn't going to sound nice. We're just good-for-nothing, low-down, gravy-sucking pigs. We just got a way about us that manipulates something, and we find ourselves in a broken state again. And we have to continuously be reminded that there's a ministry of reconciliation started by the one who picked up his cross, self-denied, was killed, murdered for the lover that he was, the the God that he is, the God-man, and... And we've been unreconciled to that. And we need to reconcile to it. So I want to lead us through a prayer of confession and repentance. And whatever you got, whoever you are, and maybe you're a person who's never reconciled with God, you've never reconnected the spiritual umbilical cord to go, God, feed me. Bring me back new life. I want to be connected with you. When I, if That was snapped in Genesis 3, and you've been walking around blind, a dead man or dead woman walking, and I'm here to tell you the message you just heard, if none of it computes, it just means you get to have life and life eternal through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the good news. Let's pray it up. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We see to the extent in which you love us. We forget sometimes, and so we're so grateful for this Scripture, for the Mark reminder Thank you, Lord. But the gospel sometimes could be a word, but it's a person. Love can be a word or an attribute or the things that we read in 1 Corinthians 13 about love and carrying our cross. But that's you. That's your plight. And so what's undeniable is that you love us. And what's also undeniable is that you went through every barrier to get us to make sure that we knew that you personally loved us. And we sometimes love that and we swaddle in that, we take that too far because we get spiritually spoiled and we don't spread that love. And so, Lord, will you teach us how to love you and to love one another, this is the mission of this church, and to love others, God, so that you can be seen, you can be glorified. And so when those things are reconciled, there is deep peace, a non-anxious presence for us. We get to settle into our eternal place with you. We get to anticipate these things. And we don't taste death. We taste the kingdom, as the scripture says. So Lord Jesus, we long for the kingdom. We long for your presence, and we love you. Thank you that you rebuked Peter. That was kind of hard on us to see because we know that we're being rebuked too. And so Lord Jesus, let us take the rebuke, turn a different way, and repent. So right now, Lord, each one of us, There's something on our hearts. We need to repent about something. And we actually make it very little, but it's part of the reason you were pinned to the cross. And we need to say we're sorry that you suffered on our behalf. We're sorry for those things. We appreciate what you've done, and we love you, God. But we ask for forgiveness. We ask for the blood that you shed to come over us. We want that communion. We know that your body was broken for us, Lord. So we commune with you right now, And uh, we just want to, as a sign of our belief in this, we want to worship you right now like crazy. In Christ's name, amen.